You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William... What's his name? Okay. Good to be back. Thanks for that welcome. Um, I could see you from here looking around to see, were there any alternatives? But seemingly there weren't, so I'll take that. Hi, how have you you been? It didn't look very long either. (laughs) It is good to have you back, William. Thank you for letting me tease you about that. Now, we're... what. You were gone for like a long time. Yes, and I can't properly tell you what it is because it's a sensitive. You were you were incommunicado. Yes, I spent uh, all of last week in a history archive researching uh, a particular book. Nothing to do with Apple or technology, uh, but very intense. So I just switched off everything and concentrated on the 1,700 documents I had to read. And unfortunately, I only managed to get through 800 in the week, so I don't know what to do next. Okay, right. That's that puts you at a supreme deficit. Right. I thought you might have some sort of speed reading tip there, but uh, yeah, not so much. Okay. I I am a fan of the concept of book scanning and being able to have these documents at your disposal rather than being locked in the musty cellar of some moldy library. And well, I'm not, but also I wasn't kidding about sensitive. These documents are locked away for 50 years. I have uh, expressed permission to uh, read them, but no one else can. So can't take them out, can't split the load between people. It's all very, uh, it's, uh, it's really interesting, but uh, right now it's just overwhelming yeah, as well. Yeah. So. No, I, I, uh, I, I like the idea of scanning for archival purposes. You know, the paper gets eaten by, by, animals, bugs, such. It gets moldy. It, it, it runs at risk of physical damage. The idea of scanning and archiving sort of offloads that risk to the idea of, of bit rot or digital rot or format rot. But at least there's now something else that might survive a flood, for example. Yes. Uh, I can't tell you where the archive was because it would actually give away what nope, I'm nope. Operational on. security. They maintain have... that firewall. 12 kilometers of uh, shelving that's all temperature controlled and things like that. And actually, they are working to put as much of it all online as they can. But it's, you know, it's a 10-year, 20-year product, right. project with all the stuff they've got. In and, but, gosh, you so know, interesting. Google has done some very interesting work at, uh, at creating book scanners for this kind of purpose. They're, you know, typically when you think of book scanner, you think of a flatbed scanner where you open it up and, and you know, bend the spine – and there have been ones that keep the the book open at 45 degrees or 60 degrees, and then you can scan each page separately kind of thing. Google invented one that lays the book down on top of a prism and then uses small amounts of vacuum to change pages. Wow. And that was really intriguing. And they open sourced it. They published the plans for this thing. And I have thought one day if I have plenty of time, which never happens, that I would want to reproduce the thing. I worked on a book of Radio Times covers. Uh, Radio Times is UK equivalent of TV Guide. It's, it's particularly famous for its covers, or it was. And uh, I, do, I worked on a book on it in the end, but many years ago, we just wanted a few key ones displayed on the wall and the only copies we had were bound copies of the magazine so i was photographing them on a camera and then using photoshop to un 
uh, warp them and things. And, you know, not brilliantly successful, but enough that they were displayable in the office. So Yeah, and, well, and this prison arrangement Google, thing, you know, with its, with its vacuum, yeah. would have taken care of that and accommodated it for you. Yeah, let me down, though, didn't they? Didn't invent it in time. Absolutely. Okay. Now... How do we get onto that? Yes. Well, anyway, so, hi. You know, I, I think that backup is a reasonable topic. We could do a whole show about backup, the the yeah. importance of it and, and what you ought to do. You know, I was reviewing a, uh, a network-attached storage device by Synology this week, and they make time machine possible to do over the network. So if you, you used to have a time capsule product or you used to have a hard drive connected to your airport extreme – and you you no longer have that, um, you could connect a hard drive to a Synology router, like the, the RT2600AC that I reviewed a few months back, or you could connect it your, your network-attached storage device and do that and have your, your time machine backups on the network that way. And backup is just so critical. You know, they, they also have cool things in the, the product, like the ability to make your own cloud and use your own cloud applications. So you can see your files and access and view them from iOS apps or also from the Mac. And so take a look for that review. Ago, I was very tempted to uh, go down the Drobo route with their transporter thing. Yeah. But I believe they've stopped doing that for consumers. Now, but Synology is the same idea for everyone. Synology has been doing it for a lot longer. Drobo was was attempting to do their own RAID array with with a twist kind of thing, and Synology keeps that pretty standard. They they don't fool around with what the drive balancing is like and stuff like that. They just here is your network attached storage device. You can arrange the volumes in a RAID. So, for example, I have uh, let's see, I have about thirty four terabytes. In, in one of those units sitting on my network. And it works great for multimedia, so I can go ahead and have media stored on it and display that on Apple TV or my phone and, and do it both inside or outside my home network. Um, I have documents and mail and chat and all those kinds of operations on there and can use it as my own personal Dropbox or Google Drive kind of thing. It's pretty cool that way. I am struggling with a, a Mac Mini that I love, but has uh, the smallest uh, SSD you can get. I couldn't afford a, a bigger one. And I also knew that I had tons of external hard drives, uh, but I am struggling to manage it all and find some sort of system for how to get stuff off when I'm done with it. So get it back quickly. I, I would suggest uh, a network attached storage device like this for you. And I would suggest using your just just as apple encourages people to use documents and desktop as icloud yeah i would encourage you to go ahead and create folders from the network and mount them as as volumes on your mac and set them up to auto mount and just use those as your storage okay that makes sense you know your, your mac mini isn't like a portable laptop right your mac mini doesn't travel very far so you could use for things that don't have to be quick from the ssd but could take, you know, a split second to load from the network. Do that. That makes sense. Though, actually, I have traveled with this Mac Mini. It is so ludicrously small. Yeah. It's very handy. Well, but the other beauty of the, the network tax storage is that because it's on the network, if you go ahead and um, create what they call a quick connect, which is essentially dynamic DNS, then you can access all of your files that are home while you're traveling. 
I think I do that through iCloud Drive. Yeah, you, you do. But, so. you know, if, if you were, for example, paranoid about Dropbox or paranoid about Google Drive or, or not all in on iCloud, then this would be a way of, of, you know, planting your flag in the ground and saying, I'm going to do it on myself, my own, I'm going to do it for myself and not be beholden to any other company. Except Synology. Well, but, you know, they aren't charging a subscription for storage. They're, they're simply selling a product. Okay. It happens to be a hardware cool. I'm device. I'm starting to think it's – I've got this funny feeling that I've bought all of this stuff. I could have spent that money on a bigger Mac Mini, but, you know, we are where we are. Yes. Yeah. And, and of course, there are some other things that you can do around this kind of idea that I'll talk to you offline about. Cool. Because I don't want to bore everyone. Um, Okay. My problems are – well, I'll tell you what, what I really fancy yeah. is one of these giant uh, ultra-wide curved monitors. I'd really like one of those. Uh, so any advice on that, that would be very nice, including how to pay for it. That would be uh, Well, I can't key. tell you about how to pay for it exactly, but no. in the United States at this moment, there seems to be a TV refresh going around in stores. And so as I walk into stores, I'm seeing – sets from from six months ago, sets from last year on clearance. And among those is a 65-inch curved display. I wrote a piece once for Apple Insider about the the actual differences between TVs uh, and monitors. Um, And I can't remember. I came away thinking monitors were better value, but that makes a difference. Well, it... it depends a little bit. I mean, there are things like color reproduction and color accuracy. There's refresh, there's contrast and so forth. And also, you, you don't want too large a monitor because in a monitor context, you're sitting right in front of it, whereas a TV, you're six to 10 feet ah, away. Um, that's it. I was forgetting that. Yes. And you know, having something that's, that's meant for a six-foot viewing distance right in front of your eyes is overwhelming and bad. But the... Um, there's also the resolution, right? Now Now the resolution question is kind of irrelevant because there are 4K displays that are common in TVs. But it's, it's still it's picking the right tool for the job, I think. Yes. Um, I moved from a – sorry, this is really terribly uh, – I moved from a 2012 iMac to a 2018 Mac Mini and I bought just a basic – what HD monitor? I can't remember what it is, but I, I miss the larger screen of even the 2012 uh, iMac. The resolution was nicer in size, so I just want to be happy with a new monitor. And I want you to be happy. Thank you. But now I have to but dash you're not all your help hopes. Me with the money. So okay, but. right. So uh, what is this? Are we talking like this because nothing's going on in the world with Apple? No, plenty of things going on. So first of all, but it's not with Apple. Uh, Huawei, maker of fine cell phones and network equipment everywhere. I'm not proud of this, but I'm very glad that you said the name first because I genuinely struggle. It's one of those ways I have trouble spelling, but also uh, saying as well. So them lot there, they're having some problems, aren't they? Yeah, say Huawei. Wow. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, so right. For, remember, I'm in the UK where basically we just let them do what they like. Yeah. So you know. for years and years, there there have been rumblings coming from Washington DC about Huawei and about ZTE or ZTE, and and basically being casting aspersions that these are products that are are made by Huawei, Huawei being a Chinese company, the Chinese government having their hands in Chinese companies, and therefore that these products were susceptible to surveilling 
American communications. Right. Uh, any chance we know if that's true? Not exactly. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's not that there's any hard proof in that, although uh, Dutch newspaper De Volkskrant cited intelligence sources as saying that Huawei had created a backdoor on the network of an unnamed telecoms firm and that their intelligence agency, AIVD, was investigating whether the vulnerability had enabled spying by the Chinese government. You see all these important things going on and my mind goes straight to, I couldn't pronounce the Dutch newspaper's name either. I am the most ignorant <laughs> man on the planet. Okay. Well, so... <sighs> First of all, people who are in the know will remember that the U.S.'s NSA, National Security Agency, had intercepted packages destined for, for recipients of telecoms gear made by Cisco and had modified it to surveil them. So No, I didn't know that. Uh, sorry, is that uh, quite a recent? No, no, it's several years old now. Okay, so that sounds quite um, ominous, really, but it was all sorted out. Uh, I think it still goes on. Okay. Um, are, are we all thinking of the Bloomberg um, accusation from what, last no, October? No, this is not like the uh, Bloomberg accusation in, well, I mean, the, the Huawei accusation well, the kind proof. of is, but for the NSA accusation, there there was evidence for that. And it was not planting chips on the board as Bloomberg was accusing Supermicro of doing or, or being victim of. It was uh, firmware modifications to Cisco networking gear that had been sent out. Oh, right, which even I think is possible compared to uh, soldering an extra right, right. processor onto the board. Yes. I mean, it's a network product. It's connected to the network. Routing more traffic to another destination is, is not outside the realm of possibility here. And that's really the concern around Huawei is that Huawei's products are used in telecoms uh, to, to route data, to be the 5G equipment in the back room kind of thing. And... So first what's happened is that uh, government agencies in the United States have been barred from buying Huawei and ZTE products. That happened in 2018. Uh, in January, the U.S. unsealed a 13-count indictment against Huawei, accusing it and Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou of defrauding financial firms by lying about its relationship with an alleged front business operating in Iran. And Meng was arrested in Canada a month earlier on a U.S. warrant. She's still fighting extradition. She does not want to be extradited to the U.S. And, and that comes down to the notion that we have sanctions in the United States against doing business with, with Iran because we don't want to um, – you know, if Iran is the state, the repressive state that the U.S. says it is, then the U.S. doesn't want to make it comfortable for that country. They want to use sanctions as a way of trying discouraging that, that bad behavior. She's still – uh, in Canada. In Canada, yes. Um, where are we five months on? Yep. Wow. There are worse uh, places I mean, to be. I mean, Canada's lovely. Yes, but one <laughs> imagines, I mean, she's the CFO. You'd think she has quite a lot to do. Is she able to do it from there? I mean, I would, uh, I'm not sure. Assuming innocence until proven guilt. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it, it, we're, we're saying that she's still the CFO, although if we're mistaken, it's possible. I mean, um, at some point, it could be like Carlos Ghosn in Japan where he's, he's been accused and imprisoned a few different times as the Japanese try and prove their case against him to the point where he was no longer able to fulfill his responsibilities as CEO of Renault and uh, of Nissan. Right. 
So she's probably not really having a holiday in Canada. Let's put it like that. Probably not. If you're busy fighting extradition, it's not much of a holiday. No. 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 And you can't even go to Disneyland, which I understand is it's very nice. And also um, not in Canada. Not far away. Well, you know, no choice. <laughs> she could come to the States, but okay. And also not get into Disneyland, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but from closer. Okay. Hmm. Right. So that's that's kind of the problem with Huawei. And it's it's a problem for us all. Why? Can you guess? Uh, because uh, if Huawei has all of these difficulties, it could actually cease to be. And uh, we wouldn't get phones that I understand have very nice cameras. Well, it's not only about the phones. It's the problem with the networking gear is that if you want 5G cellular communications, you have to have a phone that has a 5G chip in it, right? Yes, and actually, I could, I could break some news here. 5G is coming to my area of the UK around June, July time. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping my iPhone will work with it. Okay, your iPhone will not work with it immediately, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But, <laughs> yes. but here's the problem, is that you have to have the 5G part in the phone, but you also have to have the 5G part at the towers, at the offices for the, the cellular communication companies. Yeah. I can't afford a tower. What are they asking me to do? And so, okay, but yes. so if you don't have both parts of those things in place, then you can't offer that service. And Huawei is, is basically poised to become a major player in 5G infrastructure, or at least they were until this intervention. So, okay, I'm wondering, I'm seriously wondering how that will affect its work in the UK, because one imagines the UK, where it's poised to do the same thing, is such a smaller market compared to the States that it's probably not uh, economically viable compared to well, doing the US. And, and, and the, the other UK. question is, is the UK because the UK and, and the United States are close partners in many things, is the UK going to follow along with this ban? Well, so far, we've been making more fuss uh, about uh, leaks about the discussions than about the discussions themselves. So I would bet probably not. Although, hang on, we do have Brexit, don't we? That's a good point. Um, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't bet on Huawei surviving well, uh, here either. I mean, Vodafone is is going to switch on 5G on July 3rd. And, ah, right. That's the one I'd heard about. Yeah. Yes. And so well, I, I couldn't be sure if you were talking about Vodafone or if you are talking about EE or something else. But um, No, I didn't know the date, but it was Vodafone. And I, I've heard rumors that EE is following soon, but uh, I, I'm on EE, so I hope that's true. All right. Well, Vodafone is going to be using the Huawei 5G technology. Oh, Maybe everybody should just wait for Apple to bring out 5G modems. Well, but Apple isn't going to be doing the back-end stuff. Apple's not going to be making the equipment for the network closets. So uh, Apple is doomed then. No, 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 but, you know, who who else can you imagine might offer 5G equipment? I genuinely haven't the faintest idea. Uh, I couldn't even tell you the players. In the market, I mean, I only knew about Huawei because I've read about the news. There's a simple company, a small outfit you may have heard of, called Qualcomm. Oh right, yes, (laughs) yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So so Qualcomm doesn't typically make this kind of back-end product, but they make parts that could enable it. So you might get a Cisco product, for example, that works with the, the Qualcomm part. Now, I, I have no insight into production right. of such a thing, but obviously, if Huawei is not going to be available for purchase, especially for government contracts, that, um, that that's going to mean there's an opening there in the market. Hmm. Maybe Intel will run to uh, fill it because they're not doing anything else. Well, and Intel, as as you remember, um, just got a, a tongue lashing from Apple. So we we know that the Intel part has never performed as well as the Qualcomm part as a modem in the phones, and. In 2017, uh, Hardware Technologies VP Johnny Sruji is, is said to have barked at Intel's Venkata Rendukintala during a meeting at Infinite Loop, according to a source for the information. Now, now Sruji was frustrated with Intel's work on the XMM7560, which was intended for the 2018 iPhones. The modem wasn't functioning properly, two sources said, and even though Intel had already overhauled it four times to try and put it on par with the Qualcomm chips, and they'd missed multiple deadlines along the way, it, it still wasn't working right. And Struji said, is reported to have said, this would never have happened at Apple under my watch. And Apple is believed but to be creating their own 5G modem under Struji. Senior staff are telling engineers yeah. the chip's going to be coming in 2025. Now, 2025, you go, oh, my God, that's a long way away. Oh, yeah. Are you watching years and years? Russell T. Davis's new thing that's already moved on to 2024. It's closer than you think. Well, it's closer yeah. than you think. And also the thing to remember is that it takes about two years to to do an iPhone, start, yes. start shipping. And so what that says is that they're going to be using Qualcomm's 5G chips across the board for the 2020 iPhones and they'll, they'll get one more generation out of them for 2022. And then by 2024, 2025, they'll be ready to use their own. They'll probably be developing and testing this all the way along because they're, they're working on it now. So they'll produce them, they'll test them, they'll have them going on and then switch over to them for the phone for that after they've proven that they're really ready to go. I know this is, inevitable but every time apple comes out with a new iphone there's a little bit of me that thinks they're standing there saying this is the greatest thing ever but they know what the next one's going to be and presumably it's going to be better every time isn't johnny i've recently said something like he's forever living two years in the future yeah something like that yeah but the thing is is that the two years in the future stuff isn't in mass production is is frequently not even ready for beta testing and so the most he could actually live is like you know a year in the future to six months in the future if he were talking about a device that was in testing, that was something he could take out into the world and use. And remember, take out into the world is also skeptical because now you have to hide it and prevent that it's not in the, you know, the form factor that it is and all that stuff. So it's... Yeah, uh, but Apple Park is so big, you just go out for a stroll, you'd be fine. Yeah, it's be right. true, no fair way. enough. Yeah. But the... Um, So 5G, really, that's what's uh, – we're just waiting on 5G is what we're doing. Well, we're going to get all kinds of other cool stuff along the way to 5G. 
uh, such as I, I know right now that isn't there a thing in the states where there's I'm sorry I think it's AT and T but I can't remember that's showing five G when really it's four and a bit G or something. Correct. Is that what you yeah, AT and T were doing that. Sprint sued them. Um, there's there's a whole kerfuffle about that right now. And Verizon has said that they're launching 5G, although their 5G is sort of a draft 5G. It's not real 5G, but it's not 4.5G like AT&T's. Uh, but okay. Verizon's let everyone know that when they're really doing 5G, that they're going to charge you a premium for it. That that you can get your 4G LTE as you always have been, but if you want the good stuff, you're going to have to pay more. As opposed to your Vodafone over on your side of things where they're totally content to say, hey, 5G, come at it. No additional price premium. Yes. Well, I imagine Vodafone is counting on the fact that when you can do more with your phone, you will do more. And so that therefore, you know, they'll get you on caps and rates and things like that. Mm. Uh, but still, I was surprised. I, I took it for granted. I unthinkingly assumed I'd have to pay more for 5G. So um, good on Vodafone. I mean, the rule is that whatever AT&T wants to do is going to be customer abusive. You can guess that right away. Because AT&T has never okay. been been very good at this stuff, right? They've always tried to find ways to make you use less or tried to change the definition of their terms of their contract so they don't have to provide the service that you actually were getting. Right. Uh, are they the lot that changed the word unlimited That's, to mean very limited? That is them, okay. yes. But this is Marbell, isn't it? I can't remember my American telephone history, but um, right. So yeah, American so telephone and telegraph. It, we trusted American them. American telephone and telegraph, or Marbell, uh, was the one monolithic company until about 1984, when they were broken up and they split off into the Baby Bells. And there was Southwestern Bell and Pacific Bell and Mid Atlantic Bell and and, uh, and and Bell South, and so on. And and along the way, some of those renamed themselves. Bell South oh, right. became okay. Singular, uh, Pac Bell or Pacific Bell um, changed names a couple times uh, to the ones I can't remember. Um, Southern Pacific Bell became uh, – or, or Southwestern Bell became Sprint along the way. Um, Singular actually bought uh, AT&T. And, and so they remerged and they're re, sort of re, re uh, conglomerizing themselves. Singular bought AT&T and then renamed themselves AT&T. And in all of that, as soon as we said Mark Bell, Boney M music has been running through my head. Yeah. That's oh, uh, me Verizon. Now. Verizon yeah. was uh, Mid-Atlantic Bell. Oh, right. Well, there you go. You didn't say that. God. Yeah. Did they make all those great Mid-Atlantic dramas? No kidding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So – we are on the road to 5G, and it's going to take a while. But the people shrug and say, you know, what, what do I care if I have faster network speeds? What, what do I care if my phone gets any faster, right? What do I care if my phone's data gets any faster? Well, so 5G does a couple of different things. Besides providing super fast speeds, you know, it's, it's basically said that you can get gigabit fiber speeds or gigabit internet speeds over cellular using 5G. Presuming that everything else is correct. Now, the problem is that your distance to the tower has to be shorter for that to work. So you're going to have to be closer to towers for that to happen. But if you can get 5G over cellular in the home, then it means yeah. that you can give up your DSL, you can give up your cable modem, you can give up your, your fiber modem, although that would be the one that I would probably hesitate to give up. Um, 
but getting a gigabit over cellular and all you have to do is is rent a cellular to Wi-Fi router from the cellular service and you have faster internet than you could get from cable is in an ideal world a really good thing. Um, and it has some weird business knock-on effects. For example, if you're getting your internet from your cable company and you give up on that and you get it from your cellular company and then you give up on your cable channels and you get your cable channels over streaming – then the cable companies go away. Great. All those years, the cable companies disrupted network television, and now the same thing has happened to them. Yeah. Well, Everything comes back. It, it does, but one of the things that happens is you get companies like AT&T, where they were distributing their TV services over fiber or DSL and DirecTV over satellite, and now they're making the bundle for DirecTV Go so that you can continue to get those kinds of channels through your Apple TV and Roku. We all have that friend who's the first one to try things. Whether they're super trendy or more of a guinea pig, when you're making a choice, it's always nice to hear it from someone who's been there, done that. Choosing the right software for your business is no different. Read thousands of real software reviews to help you choose the right software for your business on captera.com slash Apple Insider. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business with over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users. Discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing apps to, to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. You know, I was I was just on Twitter the other day, and I was seeing people asking, you know, what what do you use now for support stuff? Do you use Zendesk still, or do you use something else? And I saw people making recommendations, but I think really the right answer is to go to Captera.com slash Apple Insider. And if you visit Captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today, find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Captera.com slash Apple Insider. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Apple Insider. It really is the, the best way to see reviews, find these things, try them out, learn about the different software that's the right fit for your business. I tell you, I'm really glad. Uh, uh, oh, I've forgotten the term already. Um, net neutrality. I'm glad we've got net neutrality oh. that's balancing out all these big services. Not yeah. sorry, no. What? Okay. Well, so net neutrality was was two things. Net neutrality was the concept that all of these all, all traffic would be treated equally, so that there would be no favoritism in terms of. Um, Incumbents like Netflix stopping other streaming services from coming in by creating yeah. contracts with the carriers to say, you you give our traffic preference and charge the yes. startup traffic more. And yes, but let me just – you said something about the 5G in the home that I wanted well, to check. No, no, so I'll, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to that because I want to say one more thing about net neutrality. So the other part okay. about net neutrality was that it was the idea that – these preferential partnerships or zero rating, as it's called, would not take place because that's another another way of, of preferring. One is the punitive. We're going to charge the startup guy more for trying to compete with Netflix that's got a prior arrangement. Zero rating is the concept that uh, says by subscribing to T-Mobile, you get all of these streaming services for free, which puts all of the other streaming services at a disadvantage. Mm. 
And that's what we're getting a lot of right now. I honestly now. didn't care that much about streaming services. I have Netflix and I use it enough that I would miss it if it went away, but not that much. Do you pay much. for Apple Music? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I like that. Well, uh, now, television, though, when, I look at Apple TV channels and so far, so hear, hear me plenty out. to hear like. Me out. But if so. you are on Verizon as a, a carrier and you have one of two of their different plans. They have the new unlimited plan and some other named plan that I can't recall. And if you're on either one of those plans, you get Apple Music for free. Forever? Yeah. Okay, I've seen offers of so many months. Yeah, I'm I'm on a different UK, plan, and so yeah. I have a six-month for free offer. Um, but if you're on one of those two plans, then you have Apple Music free forever because they've zero-rated it in partnership with Apple. Okay. Well, I hope the artists are still getting their cash. Oh, absolutely, they is. do. They they okay. they get their royalties, but uh, essentially, Verizon is paying for this as a way of, of course, keeping the consumer on board and also preventing any other music streaming service from catching on membership that way. That's why Apple does it. Fair enough. But five G in the home. Yeah. Vodafone, uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember if this is actually an announcement now or just uh, expected, but they were talking about having some sort of basically a 5G router for houses. Yeah. Uh, I imagine then, is that just uh, replacing my regular router so it's only 5G from the router to wherever I am? Or is it in some way plugging into the 5G tower network? So if you have 5G service in your area and you get a 5G router for the home, then what happens is you're getting that one gigabit link, ideally, to the home over cellular, over 5G, and then having that redistributed through Wi-Fi to your home devices. And in that way, they cut out, you know, Virgin, they cut out DSL, they cut out whatever internet, you know, BP, you know, uh, whoever, BT rather, whoever else is providing yeah. your internet and get you locked into Vodafone. And you don't have to worry about wired infrastructure being backhauled by some street construction crew. You don't have to worry about cables breaking or service outages in that way. Okay. That sounds good then. Let's do that. Well, you know, it, it would be considerably faster than than some of the services that I've had for internet when I was living in the UK. And I I uh, can see the value there. The The caveats are all around the ideal situations, right? If you're too far from yeah. the tower or if there's interference or if you're in a hole in a valley and don't get good reception and things like that. So the wind is in the east, all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yes. All the same problems you have with cellular. Okay. I remember when 4G came uh, to my city, Birmingham, it was incredibly patchy. One end of a street right in the dead center of the city would have it and the next would not. Uh, but, you know, presumably these things get fixed over time. Yeah, tower upgrades and so forth, yeah. But it, it makes it interesting because it puts the cable companies out, like you said. It puts the traditional internet companies out, like like we we're talking about, and it really shifts the landscape in a, in a sort of big way. It, it makes the cell phone carriers who have never really been TV providers or music providers into those. And we also have people like Apple who have not been TV providers actually making the content. So suddenly, television is in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing. Well, and and that was the thing was you know should Verizon buy a Netflix, right? Should because they've got to compete with AT and T's Direct TV offering. Right. It, it, you think somebody would buy Netflix? So there's so many stories about everybody from well, Apple up you, should be buying. You could it. flip it around. Should Netflix buy Verizon? 
And I, okay. I throw that out there without even thinking about the numbers involved and doesn't even make sense, you know, the size disparity of the companies. But but all of this stuff becomes more fluid, right? You do have to admire Verizon, um, excuse me, um, Netflix, because they were in such bad states. They were on the verge of closing the doors, and they turned it around by making good programs. I mean, I'm a, dra- a drama fan. I think that's a, a wonderful story. Definitely. Sorry, lesson. All right. So let's talk about vulnerabilities. Mine or yours? Well, yours. Okay. All right. Well, I know all about mine. So, okay. Far away. Which one do you want to talk about now? <laughs> Late at night Is when you're the, lonely. Uh, what do you know? Uh, actually, I was going to talk about Apple's vulnerabilities. Okay, Apple's vulnerabilities. And this is this, just like we were talking a few minutes ago about Intel not being able to do things properly for their 5G modems. Let's talk about Intel and CPUs. Yes. Oh, I know where this is going. Yes, indeed. Take it away. Yes. Tell, so, tell me where this is going. Previously on Intel. I'd have to look up the actual term that Intel uses for it, but uh, and I, I was going to call it, I'm going to get the name wrong again. It's Zombie Load. I keep thinking zombie land. I don't know why. I nearly wrote that earlier. But zombie load. This uh, particular vulnerability that's existed in Intel processors. Right. So, so zombie land, Found zombie load, you've got me doing it now, is speculative ha. execution vulnerabilities. And I'll explain what that's those are in a moment. And zombie land is Jesse Eisenberg and Woody Harrelson and uh, <laughs> Emily, Emily Blunt and... Someone Breslin? I'm so close on that. I can't remember. Um, but that was actually a fun movie. Guessing it had zombies in it, though. So I don't know how the name entered no, my head. No, no, not Emily Blunt. Emma Stone. Emma Stone. So Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma oh, Stone, and Emily Abigail Breslin. Yeah. And it's a post-apocalyptic comedy zombie film. Another one of those. Grief. Okay. Right. And, no, no, but it was really upset. fun. You, I, I can recommend you to watch that one. I think you'll enjoy it. You can recommend it, and I'll thank you for that, but uh, it's okay. Oh, uh, so how is Apple upset so, uh, by a, a zombie film? So the, the exploiter, what, what's the speculative execution vulnerability? Seriously, you're asking me. I did understand it when I wrote what's a brief news story speculative about execution? it. speculative execution? I read 40 pages of Intel documentation about this, and I am proud of the fact that I held it in my head for long enough to find something useful to write about okay. it, but it's not sticking in there now. Whereas I think you eat this stuff for breakfast. So go on, you tell me, what is the speculative thinking? Right. So when, when you have a processor mm-hmm. and you can you can feed it chunks of information, chunks of tasks to do, things to calculate, and it will go ahead and sort out how it can execute those to do them as quickly as possible. And, yes. you know, there we, we could discuss the old, old uh, John Rubenstein videos from the G4 and G5s where he was showing how different parts get executed by different parts of the processor. Or we could look back to the uh, the, the iPhone announcements where they've shown us that we have four cores, two that are fast and two that are slow, and we use those to process things differently kind of thing. But speculative execution is where we say we can predict that there are going to be things that follow these processes that we're being asked to calculate. And so we can take the left branch and the right branch or the the up branch and the down branch or however you want to call them and cal- start calculating down both of those paths 
speculatively. And when the user or the program or whatever it is chooses one of those branches, then we can just discard or ignore or forget about the alternate future that we were predicting. And we'll just speculatively execute both paths so that it will be faster because we've already done all the work when the program gets there to ask for it. Okay, that seems very nice and very straightforward. Yes, let's do that then. Okay, what could possibly go wrong? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a vulnerability in the speculative execution that allows the, the processor to leak data, basically. I don't really understand how it would do that, but uh, I can see. Could you, okay, does one know uh, what data can be made to leak? Or is it well, just I mean, opening hands? I, I haven't really seen a good exploit for this, so... I'm I'm not positive. I mean, it's it's not like it's out, there's something out there in the wild. This is something that we need to do to prevent against it getting out there in the wild. Right. Right. Okay. Now, right. well, that's here. Here's the problem: is that if you eliminate speculative execution, you could reduce system performance by as much as forty percent. Oh yes. Um, yeah, you would be giving up uh, this multi-threading thing and and ruining your life, really. Uh, but you'd be safe because of it. Now, yeah, I think you can tell I'm not that concerned about the forty percent because I'm not going to do it. Um, am I right to just be not all that fussed, or is this end of the world type stuff? Well, so it, it depends on how you mitigate for this, right? If you disabled hyper-threading. Then, then yeah, that would reduce performance by as much as forty percent. But you know, this this kind of reduction only applies if you do the full mitigation in the Mojave update and install security update twenty nineteen zero zero three for High Sierra and Sierra and enabled those. And so, you know, everyone's going to be upset about reducing performance. I paid for this machine and it's not as fast as what I paid for. Makes good sense, except it's only an issue if the person managing the Mac really goes full bore on the mitigation. And if if your Mac's being used for secretive tasks, if if the user, if you are a potential subject for hacking attempts by a sophisticated bad actor, um, then yeah, turn on that full bore mitigation and go ahead, disable hyper-threading and you know, try and secure yourself. If you are not that person, if your risk model says that you're not being attacked by, uh, by, by states or other bad actors with lots and lots of money and power behind them, then maybe you don't need to go with that full mitigation. And, and this is not just something that affects Macs. This is something that affects anything with an Intel processor. And if you disable hyper-threading in Windows, you will see the same performance loss. Yeah, but it's Windows. Would I notice a performance loss? That, sorry, now, that was now, you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I, I'm, amazingly, Apple's talking about moving, or allegedly talking about moving away from Intel. I just, I can't imagine why. Okay. Um, Whistling in the ser- dark. The right? serious thing is, very few people are going to be troubled by this. No, no, no. I, um, I don't want to say very few people, and I don't want to say a lot of people. What I want to say is that there, there is a vulnerability. And that I would rather that we were informed about it as opposed to being not informed about it, especially since there are actions you can take. So what you have to decide is what is your risk? What's your risk model? And act accordingly based on that. 
I'm working it out. Okay. You, you, I, right. I know, I know. Listen to me being the boring old voice of reason. But, you know, you, you have to decide. And this is, this is true for anything. When you take on any kind of technology or when you decide to make any piece of information public or private, what's your risk model? Who do you want to have access to this thing and what are you doing to prevent it? Yeah, but never had this trouble when you're buying a kettle. You know, you just it did what it did, and now you say the that. But crazy. I want to point out: this morning I was filling up petrol at the at the petrol station. I was getting gas from my car, and I went inside to pay because I would prefer to go inside and pay and use the payment terminals at the counter in front of the employee than the terminals built into the gas pump. Is this because you long for human contact? Yes, I'm desperate actually, for it. That's why I talk with you, actually. But the I wondered. I'm not knocking that, by the way. That's I'm just well, but, very good but at that. there are a number of cases where gas pump terminals have been hacked and hacked with Bluetooth. So it's possible for the thief who wants to steal your credit card details to do so via Bluetooth from the pump. Okay, genuinely hadn't heard that before. Oh yeah, no, totally documented. Excellent and really. Really good. Yeah. And, okay. you know, I I went in and talked with the employee inside and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I understand it. If one of those feels suspicious, come in here instead and let us know. And um, so I do that. And when I was talking to her this morning, she said that the, the, the person in front of me was out there trying to use the, the terminal at the pump and came in because he was, couldn't make it work. And she, she told me, I have to reboot those things twice a day. I have to reboot the gas pumps twice a day. She said, just like your computer. Okay. And I said, well, when everything's a computer, when you put a computer in everything, you're going to have to do something like that, maybe. Suddenly, I'm hoping those gas pumps are HomeKit enabled, that <laughs> you could just press a button on a phone. That'd be, that's the way we should go. I think they're, I, I th- think that they're wired into the building as opposed to being wireless. Okay, fair enough. And as we but know, a wired, wired connection is more secure than a wireless connection. So there you have it. But um, I I think my advice goes like this. I would tell our listeners that the Mojave patch, feel free to go ahead and install it. You should totally install the patch. Um, Decide for yourself whether or not you want to use the ability to turn off hyper-threading in Mojave or not. I would also tell you that be mindful about where you get your software from. Be mindful about your network connections. Right. That's a good point. I mean, I'm not very keen on the Mac App Store because most things I want aren't in there, but it is a good source for this, and at least you can trust that, what imagined. It, even if the app isn't distributed in the Mac App Store, if it's signed so that it takes part of Gatekeeper and Sandboxing, then it's safe to use. If, if it says this is not safe to use and we're not going to do it um, – you know the the path around that has been to go to security and system preferences and click open anyway. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that without thinking, consider who's the developer and why haven't they gone to the trouble of signing their application? Sure, it's hard to imagine uh, a serious developer not doing it. But I mean, I'd be happy. Uh, the Omni Group, for example. Uh, I trust them with my credit card details and probably have done many, many times over. But it's when you go to those obscure download sites uh, that collate things from all sorts of places and you're never quite sure 
where you know when you're trying to get little utilities to do something and the the developer of the utility doesn't appear to have their own website i get wary around then well mixed right if you're going to github or something like that and getting it directly from the developer from his code site true that's a good point yeah yes You upgrade your smartphone, your TV, and your laptop, but when's the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi? The future of Wi-Fi is here, and it's time to welcome Wi-Fi 6. The Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router gives you ultra-fast speeds and wider coverage throughout your home, and it's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever. You get four times the capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi, which means you can connect more devices, stream simultaneously, without impacting Wi-Fi speeds and reliability. The devices of today and tomorrow demand more. Your old Wi-Fi is timing out, and you need the latest and high-performance Wi-Fi that can keep up with you and your entire family. If you stream your shows on services like Netflix or Hulu, the newest line of high-performance routers from Netgear will eliminate buffering and let you stream smoothly, even in 4K. It's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. If you game on lag, if you game online, lag will be a thing of the past. Turn your Wi-Fi up to six with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi six router. Check it out today at netgear.com/wi-fi six. That's netgear.com/wi-fi and the number six. And we like some fast Wi-Fi. I'm going to be getting one of these and testing it out a little bit. I actually have a wired connection uh, to my Mac, but the cable broke under the floor somewhere several years ago, and I've never quite got around to fixing it. So I put up with uh, actually fairly slow Wi-Fi. It's fast enough for me for now. But well, take take your wired connection and tape some fresh wire to it and pull it through like a needle and thread, and fix that because nothing's better than a wired connection. You know that. But yeah, you know, they're just. I'm looking at the flooring already. And the work it would be to get it out. No, no, just just pull yeah. it through. You tape it to the old cable that's sticking out, and you pull it through so you don't have to pull up flooring at all. Right. It's broken in the middle somewhere. I mean, I think literally broken. So uh, pulling it through, uh. not not so much. And house on two levels, it's uh, uh, it's a job. I'm not saying it's a bad okay. job, well, but it's... Uh, there's, there's a thing called a fishing tape which you can use to fish through the hole to get it to come up the other side and, and use that. Okay. I st- Just picturing me doing that. Strongly recommend it. Now, we should talk briefly about skateboards. Of course we should. Because I uh, know that 5G you, you are an avid anyway. skateboarder. Uh, I like them in Back to the Future. Well, that was a hoverboard. Oh, even before then. In the oh, first oh, yeah. No, that was a scooter uh, with oh, the scooter yeah, part yeah, yeah. knocked off. Every now and again, when you know you're, you're, you're running somewhere, the idea of just holding onto the back of a car and being given a, a, a tug, that seems um, uh, illegal, but good. Yes, okay. bad, bad yes, idea. Skateboards. But I think they're lacking something. Right? Well, let's not get into that yeah. issue. But uh, skateboards in general have always seemed to me to be lacking something. And I think you're going to tell me that it's 5G, Bluetooth, uh, something else. What's what's the skateboards of today give me that I need? Well, so they tend to be connected to iPhones now. And people like uh, Boosted Boards and Evolve. Um, so Evolve open up pre-orders for their new GTR boards on Wednesday, and they are the first of them to offer an iPhone app. 
Right, so you can phone your skateboard while you're on it. Uh, save yourself. I mean, I'm getting old. My knees are hurting. Uh, even I can bend down that far. No, okay, don't tell me. So, so right. here's, here's what happens is that when you have a connected skateboard like this, what you usually do is you have a dedicated controller that pairs with it for Bluetooth that allows you to control the board for acceleration and braking and so forth. And you don't just put your foot out. Uh, well, for either. If you're really, moving twelve miles an hour, you do not just put your foot out. Twelve miles an hour on a skateboard. Okay. Yeah, and that's things have moved on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so it's also possible to use, in some cases, not necessarily evolves, but in some cases, the iPhone app as a way of controlling acceleration and not. But the other things you want to use it for are battery status. Uh, geolocation, uh, range monitoring, so you don't get stuck with a, a heavy skateboard out of battery. Oh, sorry. Actually, I was being thick there. I wasn't thinking of motorized skateboards. Therefore, I wasn't thinking of batteries. Right. These are vehicles, yeah, really. they are. On the road. Yep. Okay. Explains the 12 miles an hour bit as well. Okay. And uh, one yeah, of the things that makes Evolve interesting, besides the iPhone app, of course, is that they're using a bendable battery pack. Bendable. Well, when you get up so on down on a skateboard off. and you're bouncing on it, the, the deck flexes a little bit, and so they've accommodated for that. Okay, they don't just put the battery at this uh, on the axle or something that doesn't bend in the middle. Well, you, you need a large battery, and so it has to be the length of the deck. Wow, okay, right. Bendable. That's interesting. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this is this is an interesting board, and it's got really big wheels. It looks like an off-roading board. So I am intrigued. An off-roading board. Yeah. <laughs> Just, okay. And they, they like some of the other skateboard manufacturers. So there's there are two ways of doing this, right? One way is to put the motor on the deck and then use a belt to drive the wheels. And what Evolve are doing is they've gone ahead and put the wheel the motors in the wheel hubs. Which is a good idea because you've got direct drive. Is that one motor per wheel then? It is. Okay. Although you generally don't get four motors, you get you get motors on just one end of the board. Right, but so two opposite each other. Yes. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking yeah. how that would work with my limited mechanical knowledge. But uh, apart from you'd want them to be in sync, really, uh, I can't see a problem with that. Okay, that sounds good. Now, the, these boards aren't exactly affordable. They they no. do cost. Um, this particular board we're talking about seems to start at about a thousand eight hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> Sorry, we saw, I was so certain at the start that a skateboard. I mean, I like the idea of them for ten minutes, but you'll never convince me. And slowly, you got me more interested. And now. Dash it all, a thousand eighteen hundred. So the, more than the m money I spend on my Mac Mini, well, I so could buy here, a skateboard. Here's the thing, right? We talk a lot about the future and the future being electric vehicles or future being self-driving vehicles or so forth. But the truth is that if you don't need to carry anything with you and you don't need to have passengers necessarily, then maybe something like a skateboard or a bicycle, an electric bicycle, is more appropriate. Okay, I always have to carry things, but yes. Right, but I mean, okay. if we're talking about decongesting traffic, if we're talking about um, reducing the number of, of high-speed accidents, if we're talking about just getting around within a town or a city, 
there are alternatives to the traditional gas-powered car. And, uh, you know, things like this could be one of those. That makes sense. Or we could all just work at home and all lose all human contact. We can't okay. all be William. No, they're in fairness, I think everybody should have a turn. I think it's actually a stolen joke from uh, Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. But there we go. Yes, okay. All right. I want. I have one last item I want to talk about with you, and, and then we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Okay. So, um, why am I wary about this? This feels ominous. It's not ominous. I've got one more thing to say to you. I, only, I have one thing is. left to say to you, bucko. So, end-to-end encryption. Yes. Good thing, bad thing. I think unquestionably a uh, good thing. What's it but mean? What's, what's it mean? Um, from the start of the bit where you type to the end of the bit where you get information from, it's all encrypted and safe and nobody can get in the way. Not even anyone yeah. in the middle? Well, one would hope not. I mean, I if, you're transfer, if, you're, if, you're, if you're typing and it's encrypted and you're sending it through someone's service, they can't get at it? One would... Uh, I'm now suddenly doubting myself just from the way you're looking at me. Uh, but one would have thought that's the entire definition of end-to-end encryption, except you know better. I know. I, I want to tell you that you're absolutely and entirely 100% correct. Okay, that's a dear diary moment, but all right, yes. A- except that it comes down to the implementation of such a thing. Oh, okay. I mean, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. I can say that, Yes. Okay, so if you leave a bit out in the middle, if if there's a security flaw in the design of it, then there can be an exploit to that flaw. Yes. You know. Are you thinking about uh, Bloomberg's latest? Um, uh, how can we say this thorough um, investigation of right. security so, technology? So there was a WhatsApp attack that was particularly nasty, which said that if you got a phone call through WhatsApp and didn't even answer it, that that could then start sucking down all of your data from your phone. And yes. this this does exist. There is an exploit for it. Update your WhatsApp immediately or just don't use WhatsApp. But it is a real thing. And I, I should be careful. I, I overstate it when I say it can get anything from your phone, but that's not exactly the case. But the point is, is that there's a vulnerability. Now, that doesn't mean we should stop using end-to-end encryption. We should totally use end-to-end encryption. Um, yes. The, the uh, thing is, is that we should be encouraging more encryption because it makes our communications more safe. And that... The only people that I know of that have really discouraged people from using end-to-end encryption have been people who have ulterior motives, like governments that want to make sure that they have access in the event that they would like to see what people are talking about. Yes, and that's not good. But that makes everyone less safe. Encryption is, for the most part, usually a good thing. You know, you wish that that all of the uh, the the um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It was the bad people in the world. Well, no, but years ago, there a couple of years ago, there was a hack where employee records were uh, stolen from government, and they weren't encrypted at all. And had they been encrypted, then those government employees would have been saved the hassle of uh, dealing with identity theft. Right. Yes. Good point. Yes. Right. Encryption is not just good for the consumer; it's good for government. It's good for lots of places. 
I mean, I see government and places like that as consumers, just uh, quite a lot of them. Yes. Uh, yes, it's good Bigger for contracts. us all. Bigger contracts, yeah. Now, the Bloomberg story that, that was talking about this hack says that truly secure communication is only really possible in the analog world, and then old school spycraft yeah. applies, which is nominally true, except that you know, no, no one's really encoding on paper their address records. I'm sorry, but I think you're being very generous to Bloomberg there. The entire reason for that spycraft reference is that they didn't have a way to illustrate their story yeah. other than uh, a shot from um, Tinker Tailor one of the Soldier dramatizations Spy. Of, yeah. <laughs> yes, which is yeah. a very good film, very good book, very good original BBC adaptation, but shoved in there just for the purposes of illustration. Yeah, this, this was up. a puff piece yeah. that basically said we should not encrypt stuff, and that's dumb. Yes, yes, because a criminal could break into your house, you might as well just leave the door open for everybody. Oh, you don't need I doors, William. Uh, what, what's, what's this nonsense? You're being antisocial by having doors. <laughs> right. People should be able to walk freely through your place. I want to hear the Little House on the Prairie music playing at this moment. If you could sort that out. Okay. <laughs> yes. I don't think I have the license for that. Okay. <laughs> right. So uh, Bloomberg stood up a, a daft article uh, and things, but uh, they did actually correct it, to be fair. Uh, at some point, they've updated it to wedge in a line about how encryption is necessary. Um, we wouldn't know that, but they, uh, in uh, full disclosure, they actually say at the bottom, brackets, updated to reflect what uh, encryption actually does. Yeah, Something whoops. you would have thought the article would have said first. <laughs> yeah, whoops. But there it is. So, yeah. <sighs> uh, so, Frustrating. Uh, also dangerous, I think. I mean, I'm, we're sounding amused by it because we know what it's about. But if you don't know, I was looking into it to see what people were thinking. And there were lots of discussions on Twitter uh, about um, people who'd never thought about it before uh, wondering if this was correct. So it had already put basically nonsense information into people's heads. And those people were trying to find out. But yep. how many of us bother to find out everything? I mean, I certainly don't. Yeah, difficult stuff. Very difficult stuff. Well, William, this brings us to the end of a fantastic episode. I'm so glad to have you back. Thank you. It's nice to be here doing this with you instead of in my own head and 800-odd documents. But don't go away again soon. I will try not to. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm Victor. You can find me at VMarks on Twitter. I want to recommend all of our listeners check out the podcast of a dear friend of mine, Scout. Now, Scout has the Scout Tech podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on anchor.fm slash Scout Tech. And she interviews people and finds out all about their careers from the point of a 13-year-old. It's really enlightening being able to listen to people in technology explain themselves to a person of that age. You start to learn a little bit more about things. She's interviewed particle physicists, and this week she's interviewing Jason Leopold, who files Freedom of Information Act requests with the government. So it's pretty cool to hear about. William, where can people find you on the internet? Well, clearly, listening to this podcast. Yes, yeah, Scout Tech listening Podcast, to that. yeah. Uh, but probably sitting beside at uh, W Gallagher on Twitter or uh, William at AppleInsider.com. Email. Fantastic. We'll be back next week, everybody. And when we do, I want you to think about when's the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi. Turn your Wi-Fi up a notch with Netgear's new line of Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 routers. Whether you're gaming online or watching Netflix in 4K, it's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. You'll enjoy buffer-free streaming and zero lag no matter how many devices are connected to your network. Upgrade your router at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. Make your Wi-Fi feel young again. Wouldn't we all like to feel young again? I am. So I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. We'll be back next week, everybody. <laughs>